You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Joel from the How to Money podcast. And I am Matt, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in my first week of medical school, and I knew nothing about being a doctor. We were sitting in the laboratory, and a radiologist was walking back and forth. He then asked us to all huddle around the light box and he threw up a film of a hip. And then he said, what's wrong with this picture? And all of us looked at the image and we were overwhelmed because we didn't really know how to differentiate the details at that point. So no one said anything. And I'll never forget this. He said, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. He then went through an organized way of reading an x-ray. And as he went step by step, by the time we got to the end, every single student could pick out the obvious hip fracture on the film before he even showed it to us. And as time has gone on in life, I found that many things have been the same way. Kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Often it is necessary to be able to differentiate the trees from the jumbled forest. I found this especially important as I grew up and taught myself about life and how to money. And speaking of keeping it simple, Where do you go when you want to learn about basic personal finance? Well, I am a blog reader, and I love to go to bestwallethacks.com. That's wallethacks.com, W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And you can learn about credit cards, banking, investing, insurance, loans. They have a bunch of great articles. There's a recent article on the guide to the cheapest wire transfer fees. So if you find yourself transferring money, this might be the way you go. How do you do it quickly, efficiently, and cheaply? You can find out on WalletHacks. Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. Wadhacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check them out at Wadhacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix are best friends who love beer and love to talk about money. 
They are the creators and hosts of arguably the best financial podcast on the air today. Guys, welcome to Earn and Invest. Oh, that's high praise, man. Thanks. Yeah, and seriously. Glad to be here. <laughs> I hope we can live up to that as well. But, seriously. Uh, yeah, we are happy to be here. We are recording at 10 a.m. Central Time right now. It's a little too early for a beer, or I would cheers you guys as I said that. If it's before noon, we're drinking cold brew coffee instead, typically. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to tell the difference between coffee and beer nowadays. I swear to God, <laughs> like you go in and they're serving up a cold brew and they've got it on tap. And, you know, I start thinking about beer. <laughs> Understandable. You know, our, our local coffee shop, they've got the cold brew nitro going on and I have yet to swing by there and grab a pint of it because they, they serve it in an actual pint, you know, where it kind of, you got the bubbles cascading up like a, like a nice pint of Guinness, but I'm still looking forward to grabbing, grabbing one of those soon. Just make sure that you have someone to drive you home when you're done. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, I'm going to start with you. I was listening to a recent episode of How to Money. I think it was 248. And you guys were talking about designing smarter money goals. And smarter is an acronym and it's a way of defining your goals, et cetera. But what I was really interested in is in the beginning of the show, in that first segment, you guys spend a lot of time talking about how maybe money is not the right goal in the first place. And I found that kind of counterintuitive. What was going on there? Yeah. So I, I, on the show, we talk a lot about thinking through why it is that we're seeking after, you know, those things, you know, like what, what is the reasoning behind that pursuit? Because like for me, and I, I do this selfishly, I, obviously I know Joel feels this way as well. It gets important to have goals. It's important to know your why. But for me, if I don't understand why it is I'm doing something, why it is that I'm trying to save up a, a large sum of money, then it's, it's kind of, like it's fruitless. <laughs> like I might end the day with some actual money, but the, the entire process, you miss out on a lot of the joys of that. And you might reach, you know, the end of the road and not remember, you know, why it is that you have been saving up that money. And so I recall spending a lot of time talking about just the, the larger goals behind why it is that we're, we, you know, that we do save our money because it's important to keep those goals you know, forefront in our minds. It's important to, you know, the way I like to think about it is to design a lifestyle, to literally think through how you want your days to look, how you want your vacations to look, how you want uh, to spend time with your family, not just your immediate family, but your extended family. Like, what does that look like? And find ways to essentially design a life that includes all of those things. Because if you're just on a quest to retire early, but you're not exactly sure what you're going to do once you are able to do that, once you actually are financially independent, well, you know, I think you've lost out on a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, it's basically those overarching larger goals of what you want your life to look like directly impact those, those smaller goals that you're going to implement on a month-by-month -month or a year-by-year -year basis. You know, those goals that you're going to be developing in January, in all likelihood, those should directly tie to those bigger goals that you have. And I think it's hard to talk about the specific goal setting without talking about what you want your life to look like. And, you know, money obviously plays a large role in those decisions, but you can't really have one without the other. And I think sometimes we try to make these smaller goals, it's hard to make them stick because they don't tie to necessarily a larger goal that we have for our lives. Joel, I feel like these larger goals, the why behind why you're trying to accrue all this money is like the masterclass, right? That is like the next level. A lot of us really get stuck with basic finance 101. And I can even remember 
how thinking about personal finance when I was younger, it just seemed like this huge jumble that mm. I could never understand. I had a big trouble differentiating the forest from the trees. It confused me. And I remember the day it all gelled. Someone had sent me a book that I read and I read through this book in literally a few hours. And all of a sudden I had clarity. And I'm wondering if the same thing ever happened to you. Can you remember when you became clear about your money goals? Like how old were you? And was there something that brought that on? Yeah, it's it's actually been more of a progression for me. There, there wasn't necessarily like a, a moment where it all clicked. And for me, it, it was ultimately a lot of it started in childhood where, and I was at this particular age when my family was going through some difficult financial times where I was much more affected than my sisters. I had an older sister and a younger sister. And it was something about my age and the moment that I was in that it just had this incredible impact on me. And I knew I never wanted to fight with my spouse about money. And I can't say that that's necessarily been true in my life, but for the most part, <laughs> we've been able to curb a lot of futile money discussions in, in our lives because we have been intentional with our money. But, but that was something that hit me because I was at this age of 12 or 13 when my family was going through some of those financial difficulties. And then through the years, there have been different things in my life that have kind of clicked with me along the way that helped me understand money better and and help me want to pursue it in a different way. I think for for a long time, actually, because of uh, the, the experience I had in childhood, I had a negative association with money. And it was something that I never wanted a lot of. And it was also something I never wanted to, to, to fight about. I actually had kind of a, a negative view of amassing a ton of wealth. And at the same time, I had just a, a negative view of, of debt and the, the, the bad side, the downsides of money. I think I've been able to adopt a more optimistic, a better approach towards what it looks like to build wealth o- over over the years as well. But yeah, that it's interesting because it has been this evolve, evolving uh, viewpoint. And I feel like it's still evolving today, like my approach towards money and how I view it. And I think that comes out in the show <laughs> over the past two and a half years that, that you know, the way I think about money has, has been changing and evolving while I'm learning and growing and, and hearing kind of other people's viewpoints. Matt, you guys are not just co-hosts, but also really good friends. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> Can you remember evolving together? Like, did these things happen to both you guys at the same time? Did you have lots of conversations, especially when you were younger, about money? And did it click hmm. at the same time with you guys? So, In regards to our friendship, like me and Joel here, like we, I mean, I think pretty early on, we, we shared some interests in investing and we would talk about real estate early on. We, we both purchased our first homes the, the same year back when the government was offering not that credit that you had to pay back, but that one time non-refundable credit that, that, you know, that you received. So we were both kind of high-fiving about that since the laws had changed and we were, you know, in a fortunate position at that point. But I, I think that was kind of the beginning of our of our relationship as it comes to money. And we kind of slowly started talking about money, about investing more. And we typically did that over a craft beer. And that, that's essentially the core of our show. That's how it began. But if, if you're asking about me personally, as far as like me and my experience with money, um, you know, it, like I had a, a childhood of, of working hard and, and being paid for the chores that I did, you know, doing jobs around the house, working in high school and college. But I, I feel for me, when it comes to having these larger goals and and like really the, the, it's a question of coming down to knowing what your enough is and morgan housel he he really he published a book recently and i think the way he described no, having enough is if you know that the pursuit of more and more 
that it, that it might lead to regret. And I really identified with that because owning my own business with my wife for the past 12 years now, we we had to, we came to a position to where we had to start saying no to money intentionally. Not because we weren't physically able to do something, but because we realized that we didn't want to, that we needed to proactively choose to say no to jobs, to say no to income, to say no to more and more money in order to live the kind of life that, that, that we were seeking to, to lead. And so for, for us, that was a, a big shift in the way that we were thinking when before it was isn't this great? We're able to, you know, raise our rates. We're making more and more money. Let's, let's look at investment properties. It was exciting. You know, it was very exciting. And it's, you know, talking about money, it's still exciting now, but there was, it's a nuanced shift. And on the outside, it may not make sense. Maybe I think to some individuals who haven't necessarily figured out what they want their lives to look like, what their larger money goals were. But for us, that's, that's when that came. And, and I think that was maybe five or six years into the business of doing that when we realized that that was something that we needed to kind of proactively start doing. And, and Matt and I have had this way, like Matt and I are complete opposites when it comes to personality. We have a lot of interests in common, including investing in money and, and stuff like that. But we balance each other out so incredibly well as friends. It's nice to have a friend like that, that I can bounce things off of. I'm usually a little quicker on the draw and, and, and Matt's a little more reasoned and, and methodical. And, and so I think the way that we've been able to influence each other as friends has been incredibly oh, yeah. helpful for both of us in formulating our money goals and what we want our lives to look like. And I think, you know, I learn a lot from being friends with Matt and 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 are the discussions that we have. So I think it is like that's another thing we talk about having money conversations. I think having somebody in your life that is that sounding board for you and that can provide helpful feedback. Can, can actually help you d- define what it is you, you're you're trying to make your your how you're trying to to make your life look like what what those overarching goals are and at the same time you know we, we get to talk about some of the specifics too right we talk about well how are you investing we're talking about rental properties and how are you managing that rental properties we get into a lot of specifics but I think the most important part of our friendship is kind of those bigger take a step back discussions that we have together and, and there's a a whole lot of mutual influence going on there that's incredibly beneficial. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'll, you know, on the flip side of that, I'll say that I probably would have been uh, more hesitant to go in on that first investment property had Joel and I not been having those discussions because it's something that, you know, we discussed a little bit, but I was just like, ah, I don't, are we really going to do this? This seems crazy. Like we don't really, we don't know many people who are going to buy a home. Like most people buy like the next bigger house for themselves. And that's kind of where we were before we realized that we didn't need to do that. So that's what caused us to think about an investment property. But then Joel's like, yeah, I'm about to pull the trigger on a property. Like you guys should totally do that. And that that really bolstered our decision to kind of follow through and actually do that. So yeah, I, I completely agree with what Joel's saying there. Joel, I'm convinced that when it comes to finances, we sometimes don't keep it simple enough. And mm. we sometimes really have trouble seeing the forest for what it is. In this last segment, you guys just mentioned really two big ideas. Matt mentioned this idea that realizing what enough is so you can enjoy your life and actually do what you want to do. And Joel, you mentioned this idea of it's really important to having a sounding board, someone to talk it through with. Let's look at big picture here. Are there a few big money ideas that people just don't necessarily latch on to that they should? Like, What are the top three big money ideas that we should have in mind when we're really trying to 
make that better life. Yeah, well, I think ultimately, kind of what we touched on just a little bit, briefly hit that again, is is that having an overall idea, which takes a lot of introspection, it's less money and it's more personal, taking that time to really think about what you want your life to look like what and and writing those things down because that, that's huge in formulating then what those other goals are going to be. For a lot of people, if you actually stop to think about it, it will have a massive influence on the car you buy, on the home that you own. And on a lot of the other ways that you're using money in your daily life, if you, if you look and you write down what your actual values are, typically they aren't things that cost a lot of money. And so it makes me super excited to buy a 15-year-old minivan for my family as opposed to buying something that's brand new or even two or three years old because I realize that, you know what, it's just point A to point B transportation. And so for us, we don't want to put a whole lot of our money there. And we find a lot of solace in making sure that we have enough you know, savings and cash and, and investments so that we can provide for the lifestyle that we want in the future. And, and typically that is not going to be more stuff or a bigger house even for us. And, and I think when it comes to yeah, the, bigger, the bigger things that people need to get right, it is typically, it's those bigger things that people don't think long and hard enough about. Matt and I were just talking recently about the pre-approval that you get when you're shopping for a home and the bank or credit union says, here's, here's how much you can spend. And people spend up to that limit. They just assume that that's the kind of home they should be buying is something that costs that much. Well, if the bank says I can afford a home that costs this much money, well then by golly, I should do it. Let's do it. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) well, no, did you actually consider whether that fits in your budget and whether this home fits into your lifestyle? Right. And so I think it's those kinds of decisions that people need to to think about quite a bit more before they make them is, you know, what, how does this fit into my budget and how does that then fit into those larger goals I want to achieve? And typically, you know, obviously there are lots of smaller ways that we can cut back, but if you can get those couple of bigger purchases, right, the car and the home, it's going to have a major impact on your, your freedom and your flexibility. And, and so, yeah, we, we hammer those home quite a bit on the show. <laughs> and then can I jump in? So you're asking about the top three, Joel mentioned maybe kind of the goal setting, which is oftentimes where we like to start. But I mean, I'll jump in and say, I think two and three are simply just living below your means and investing, right? Like if you can get those three things right, if you can have overarching goals and know what it is that you're seeking after, if you can then begin to achieve that by living you know, in a frugal way, in a, in a way where you're not spending every single dime and then taking that extra money and investing it, you're going to, like, that's the forest right there. Like, like with those three points, you're going to be able to live a very satisfied, happy, happy life, you know? Uh, it, like, it really is that simple. And like, I feel like the, the name of the show, <laughs> Earn and Invest, like, those are, you know, two of the three key points that we're talking about here, because like, those are, it's just so important, right? If you're not living below your means, you can be easily making six figures, and you could be living paycheck to paycheck, you know, like you could still be bolstering your lifestyle with debt if that's not something that you're able to grasp. And so it doesn't matter how much you're making, you need to be able to, to, to live on, you know, on less than you make in order to achieve these larger goals that Joel was referring to. And when you look at the statistics, people living above their means, it's it's people, a lot of people making six figures that are in tons of credit card debt. I saw a Wall Street Journal article this week and it was profiling the this this couple who I think they had a kid or two and, and she was a lawyer and, and she, her, a lot of her business had dried up because of COVID and, but they had two leased cars. And, and that's the kind of thing where 
the, the average price of a new car now is like $38,000. People who have a, a lease on a truck are typically going to pay something like $900 or $1,000 a month. I mean, those are the kind of major expenses that prevent us oftentimes and, and, and from being able to do those things. And so, yeah, if you can dial back in those areas, it's going to have a major impact. It's not just about pinching pennies either, but it, it is about making those bigger moves so that you have more freedom in your life. Yeah. And so like, so like kind of the example we're giving here are higher earners and, you know, like you're, you're, you're talking about keeping things simple. I think a lot of times higher earners might be more positioned to want to leave it to the pros, right? Because that is what they do. They're, they are a professional, whether they are a doctor, like they don't say, I'm going to leave it to my patients to diagnose themselves, you know, or like a programmer, they're not saying, oh, I'm going to let my customer, I'm going to let my client kind of build a website from scratch, you know, from code. No, like they are the professional. And so I think because I think when you operate from that, that, that kind of point of view, like that's your framework. And so, and in particular with high wage earners, you earn a lot of money doing what you do. And so you kind of focus on those, you know, on what makes the most money when in reality, personal finance, there's so much of personal finance that you do not need to leave to the pros that would be incredibly just simple to do. And it would be a, a task worth learning that would, you know, kind of sustain you for the rest of your life. All right, Joel. So I love this list. I was listening to what you guys were talking about and I broke out a few categories, right? So the first, which I think is the most difficult actually is spending consistent with your values. And we're going to put Mm -hmm. that aside for a second. The other things you guys mentioned are getting the big ticket items right, budgeting and investing. Let's start with the big ticket items. Is there anything specifically hard about figuring out housing, transportation, and food, the three biggest ticket items out there? Oh, sure. It's hard. Yeah, I think it's hard. I think it's, it's one of those things because the reason it's hard is what we see people around us doing. And it feels like if we make this other decision, like we're going against the grain, we're being countercultural, and it's hard to live differently, I think. And I think that's the importance, part of the importance of surrounding yourself with people that are also willing to live differently. It, it makes it feel like you're in this little gang uh, of people <laughs> who, who is kind of living a countercultural life. And I think what you have to realize is the way that most of the culture is living including people making high incomes, but spending just as much, if not more than what they make, they're, they're actually living in a, in a place of a lot of anxiety uh, over their debt, uh, over the, their lack of expendable resources. And so we don't want to live that way. <laughs> I don't want to live in an, in an anxious state. And so I think that's something that, that people need to, to consider because I think it is harder because of what we see around us, but at the same time, it's very doable. And part of that is, is behavioral and we have to surround ourselves with, with the people who are going to motivate us in that direction towards being able to live in a way that is like just more conducive uh, to, to being happy and to not, I think one of the things that I read is that when you're in massive amounts of debt, your IQ drops it's like 10 points. You're, you're, stupider if you are in tons of debt. Because no offense, but you're going to be dumber. <laughs> it's, it's just harder to make decisions when you have that weighing down on you all the time. I realize that too for myself. Like when I'm, when I had at different times been in, you know, a less solid, had less solid financial footing, you feel that and it infiltrates your everyday decisions. And so we think there's just a lot of power in handling money well. And, and yeah, so that's, that's, yes, it's hard, but it's totally doable. Yeah, you can really relieve a lot of that stress from yourself by not putting yourself in those positions to begin with. And, you know, like you asked about housing, 
I mean, that's the American dream, right? Like everybody wants to have their own place, less so the, the millennial generation. It seems like just now they're like more millennials are starting to purchase homes these days. But when that's sort of this dream, this goal that's set before you, it is hard to say no to uh, a house that you're pre-approved for when, you know, it's like, oh, I could have that. But what, you're not, what they're not doing is they're not thinking through the different implications. They're not thinking through, oh, are we always going to be a dual income family? Instead, they're, they're looking to, you know, what's in front of them. And, you know, you take that and you can apply that to lots of areas, including transportation, including, including food. I feel like food and transportation are both areas, though, where I feel like maybe we've seen a little bit of hope. I think a lot of individuals have seen the ability for them to dramatically cut down on those expenses as certain white collar workers have been able to remote work and being at home more often, folks have a little more flexibility when it comes to meal preparation. And so I think hopefully folks- the restaurants as frequently. Exactly. So I think folks have seen the ability to alter those, you know, those big line items that they see on their budget every single month. And, and hopefully that gives them a little bit more encouragement knowing that they have actual control over some of those aspects of their lives as well. Joel, you've drawn an interesting line because you said it's hard to control the big ticket items and I would add in budgeting and investing. But you also kind of said that there's some easy things you can do. Mm. In other words, emotionally, it sounds fairly difficult. On the other hand, intellectually, it sounds like there's a prescribed set of steps that we can take. How much of our problems is mindset. (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's most of it. (laughs) I I agree. I think the nuts and bolts of it, it's pretty simple. If you have a lease when that lease is up, or maybe you can swap it out on swap a lease or lease trader, get out of your car lease and get into a cheaper car. Like the nuts and bolts of it are pretty simple. If you're in an expensive apartment now and you want to save more money, uh, going to a, a much cheaper, whether it's smaller or just in a different part of town, finding someplace cheaper to live is not hard nuts and bolts wise. If you're, it, it's a little bit harder if you have a mortgage and you're in a home and the transaction cost of buying and selling a home. So, so there's that. But ultimately when it comes down to it, those things, shopping at Aldi instead of shopping at you know, one of the, the nicer grocery stores or more expensive grocery stores. Hey, Aldi's nice. <laughs> Aldi is nice, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just less expensive. <laughs> th- those are the kind of decisions that actually really in actuality are not very hard. It's, it, I, it's totally the mindset, I agree. I think that's 90% of where the lift is at. And then 10% of it, it, there's a little bit of education. You know, Matt and I talk about switching your cell phone service uh, on the show. A lot of people out there are paying 80, 90, $100 a month for their cell phone plan. You could be paying somewhere between 10 and 30 and getting something almost equivalent, almost the exact same sort of service. And there's so many places in your life where you can do that, where you can shop around, where you can make a move. Uh, And again, the nuts and bolts are easy as long as you're willing to figure them out or listen to somebody who knows what they're talking about on that front. But yeah, so much of it is the mindset of looking around. Well, I guess I got to live this way. And and you got to have that cohort of people or be listening to podcasts that are going to encourage you, I think, in a different direction. Know that there are other people. That's one of the great things about the internet too, by the way, is it has allowed us to connect with people who have a similar mindset, who have similar goals, who think in a similar way. Sometimes in your neighborhood that you're living in and the circles you run in, either you don't dive that deep or it's hard to find those people. The internet has made that eminently feasible to kind of be connected on the regular to people who feel kind of the same way that you do. Matt, let's dive into mindset a little bit more. I know when I started on this journey, 
I thought about investing. And to me, investing was a black box. And I had two specific limiting beliefs. One was, I'm a physician and I'm too busy to deal with this. That was the first. And then the second one was, you really have to be an expert to understand this stuff. And I just don't have the time. Those limiting beliefs kept me from managing my own finances for quite a while. What do you think are the big limiting beliefs that you see in your audience, people who call in and interact in your community? Yeah, I think a lot of individuals feel that way. They're intimidated to make some of these bigger moves. And for somebody who, you know, maybe they've been in their career for close to a decade, maybe even two decades, and they have some maybe money saved up, but they haven't quite invested that yet. I get it. I, I, I can totally relate to that because it, it can be a little bit scary maybe to make a big shift with your money when that's not something that you've done before, right? So if you aren't in the practice of doing that, then I agree. It like that's going to keep a lot of people from maybe taking some of those initial steps. But I, I, the, what's great about personal finance, though, is you don't necessarily have to go all in, right? You can slowly begin to learn when, you know, we're talking about the nuts and bolts. The nuts and bolts are out there. Like there's, there's very little excuse for individuals to learn how to invest better. I mean, simply put, like widely diversified, low cost index funds and tax deferred accounts are where you want to start. Like that's it. When it comes to budgeting and managing your money well, YNAB, Mint, there are apps out there where you sign up, you link your accounts and guess what? They start tracking your money automatically and that's what you get to base your next month's budget on. And then then you just start ratcheting it down. So the nuts and bolts are out there. It's less about the the ability to figure out what to do. And it's more about kind of taking those steps. And and so that's when starting small, it's certainly helpful. If you know you get somebody in the door or someone listening to the podcast, we don't we're not like personal finance advisors or anything. <laughs> we don't have people visiting us, but you know, you, you say you have somebody you know listening to the show for the first time, I think it's gonna be a lot easier for somebody fresh out of college to start making those first steps and to feel maybe less pressure versus somebody who might be, you know, a couple decades into their career. But the fact is, like I said, personal finance is so cool because you don't have to go all in. You can start dabbling a little bit. You can open a Roth IRA and you can start making some contributions and trying it out. And by doing it, the better you get, you know, like the first time you sit down to do anything, you're not going to be that great. The first time you sit down at your job, chances are, if you've been in that job for a couple of years or five years, you're going to be a lot better now than you were on that first day. But even still, I feel like maybe uh, work or a job is a bad example. Like, like think of it maybe more like a board game. Joel and I are both like uh, board game nerds. We're all about some, <laughs> some of the strategy games. And the first time you sit down, you're probably not going to be that great at it, especially if you're playing against somebody who has played it before and they understand the game. Not only do they understand the game, but they, they, they know the rules, but they know the strategy that they're going to take. But the more you play the game, the more you understand the strategy and the, the more you figure out how it is that you want to play the game, right? And so like uh, the, the more you realize that, oh, there's this particular character I like to play with or there's a certain weapon for like the, the, the D&D nerds out there. It's like, <laughs> this is how I want to play the game. This is how I like to win. And that's how it is, I think, with personal finance and with investing. You kind of figure out your flavor. And then the more you do that, the more confident you get. And then the, you, it just builds upon itself. Yeah, I think a lot of people let perfect be the enemy of good. And oh, yeah. it's like, well, if I can get, amass all the knowledge and then feel like I have the perfect plan, then I can get started. And sometimes you just got to get started when good and let good enough be good enough. And I think sometimes too, like what Matt was saying, it, when you start to do something, you begin to identify yourself in a certain way. Like when you start investing, hey, now 
I'm an investor. And there, there's something about that self-identification that's really powerful for people too. And if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're less apt to feel that way. And, and so, yes, yeah, sometimes it does take that initial step that motivates you to, to learn more and go a little bit deeper. And so, yeah, I think it's just really powerful to, to not let perfect be the enemy of good, to get started and to kind of take part in the process. There's tons of time to grow and learn along the way. In the first half of the show, we talked to Matt and Joel from How to Money about not only tactics, but also mindset and how to keep it simple. In the second half, we cover how the pandemic is changing how we money. But first, this episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, Purposeful cockpit-like driving position and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you guys blog readers? Well, I certainly am. And when I want to keep up to date on personal finance, I like to go to my friend Jim Wang's website, WalletHacks.com. WalletHacks.com was built to help you demystify money. They offer no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Go to WalletHacks.com to learn about credit cards, banking, investing, insurance, loans, You name it, you can find it at wallethacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. You guys mentioned a few terms like a Roth IRA or YNAB or Mint or Personal Capital or even broadly based indexing in a tax-efficient manner. I kind of laugh because if you had mentioned those things to me 10 years ago, (laughs) I would have looked at you like you're speaking a foreign language. On the other hand, (laughs) with just a little bit of reading, within a month or two of becoming interested in personal finance, I felt like I knew those terms and what they meant to such a greater extent. But Matt, that does beg a question. When do you get professional help? Like, When is it worth paying for someone to advise you on this stuff as opposed to listening to our podcasts or reading a blog. Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's going to be instances where a more complex personal finance situation makes sense, right? Let's see, like a situation that involves divorce, situation that involves like a, maybe a large estate, like an inheritance. There's going to be times in particular when there's a lot of money at stake like that, when you're going to want to call in the pros, you know, like kind of call in the Calvary. <laughs> but a lot of times too, in those instances, a lot, you're, you're going to be looking at more of a, a tax professional oftentimes. And it's in those instances, it's even less about uh, an advisor as it is, okay, how do we approach this from a, you know, the most efficient, you know, how do we approach this in the, the most efficient manner? And so I, I think those are instances uh, that would call for professional help, 
but maybe not even necessarily personal advisors. I don't know. Like, but at the same time, I don't necessarily want to discount the, the ability of a financial coach to come alongside you and to provide insight and help, right? Uh, and maybe less insight, but maybe just, again, like more of what a coach does. They point out what it is that you want to achieve, what you've identified together, and they can kind of hold you to that. And, you know, with so much of personal finance being in your head, I can certainly see how, you know, the advantages of, of having sort of like a financial coach come alongside you. I could see the benefits of that for sure. Yeah, I think the behavioral elements of a financial advisor is actually the biggest selling point. Oftentimes, we're, we're so bad when it comes to personal behavior that having somebody on our side to coach us through, to convince us not to make a rash decision when it comes to our investments or our money is, is huge. But at the same time, like you have to know yourself. And if that's something that you struggle with, then I think finding a financial advisor can make sense. And if you do decide to go in that direction, you know, Matt and I are fans of fee-only financial advisors who are a fiduciary, which means they are going to do what's best for your money, what's in your best interest. And, and not every financial advisor does gives advice under that standard. So it's really important to, to make sure that your financial advisor does that and that they're also meeting you where you're at, that they're helping you with your goals. Because I think a good financial advisor, oftentimes we think about a financial advisor as just telling you which funds to be in or something like that. But a good financial advisor goes well beyond that and gives a whole lot of advice and helps you with goal setting and, and all the other stuff we're talking about too. Two big points that I pull from that. One is that if you're going to put money into building your personal finances, often it's the behavioral aspect that we should be investing in, whether that be coaching or what have you. The other thing is, if you are going to pay for tactical advice, it sounds like often that tactical advice is episodic. Like there's a beginning, a question to be answered, and an ending, as opposed to be paying ongoing fees continuously. So two, two big points, which I think are very relevant. Joel, let's look to the future. We are now in the midst of a pandemic and a recession has this changed the personal finance world? Are the lessons any more complex than they were before? Oh man, I think it's changed the personal finance world a great deal. I think there are, it's again, it's not that the nuts and bolts and changes that the approach needs to change. It's how we talk to people needs to change. And, and in particular, when you're talking about, there've been so many articles written recently about the K-shaped economy that uh, a large swath of Americans are are feeling very little pain. They, you know, they they've kept their jobs. They're working from home now. Obviously, they're having maybe difficulties with kids doing virtual school, or there's all sorts of other emotional or uh, things that that we're all going through. But then there's this other segment of the population who has lost their job, had a pay cut that, you know, can't pay their mortgage. And obviously, fortunately, there, are, there were things in the CARES Act to help people with that. There were, you know, uh, moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures. There's, there's help to not have to pay your mortgage for six months or a year, which is great. But those people will, will I think, be, be scarred from, from this. And we're going to have to take different tactics as people who talk about money to help shepherd those people through and help them think about money in a way because I go back to my childhood. It took me a long time to start to develop a healthy relationship to money because of what I'd experienced when I was a kid. And and so I think a lot of those people are going to need more optimistic, a more helpful approach that that helps them see money. I think so many people are going to see money in such a negative light and, and we have to be able to paint the positive picture and help bring people along into that. So yeah, I do think personal finance is going to change because of the pandemic in, in a whole lot of ways. 
Matt, I love this model of the recession when we talk about a K-shaped recovery. And the reason why is the upper part of the K are people who probably had money to start with and are doing very well and not feeling it. Whereas the lower part of the K is really struggling right now. And if you look, even before all this happened, the average net worth of Americans is not really that high. And in fact, we know that there's a retirement crisis coming up individually as well as communally. People are just not saving enough for retirement in general. Even before all this happened, looking to the future, are you, are you optimistic? Do you think we can improve the financial literacy of the average person or even can we help the people at the lower part of that K? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a, a core part of why it is that Joel and I like to like to talk about money. I think it's part of what drives you as well. But to, I mean, for us to, the more we talk about money, the more common it becomes, and the, the more we're able to talk about it in a way that's approachable and in a way that is not intimidating. You know, to point out to folks that like there's a simple step in moving forward. It's, it's, it's not like you have to get all of your ducks in, in, in a row before taking any step at all. Uh, you don't have to have a, an idea of how exactly this is going to look for the next 20 years, but to be able to, t- to, to make the, the next, you know, take the next best move, the next best step in moving forward. I think, you know, a, a goal to, to talk about that more and to encourage folks that, hey, you know, you don't necessarily have to be maxing out your retirement in order to start making smarter money moves right now. And so I think that's often why we talk about some of those very tactical, practical things on our show as well. That like, if you're looking to, to, to save more money, like literally this week, this is something that you can do. Because on one end of the spectrum, we can talk real big about goal setting and why it is that we, you know, we, we're doing the things we are doing with our money, or we can talk about real estate. But for somebody who's hurting, you know, like for, for somebody, you know, to, to use a metaphor, someone who's bleeding, like they're, they're not thinking about rehab. They're thinking about stopping the bleeding right now. And so it's, it's a balanced approach, of, you know, kind of holding those two things at the same time where it's like, all right, how are we pointing people to these larger questions that they need to be asking themselves? while at the same time equipping them with some of the more practical things. And that's why, I mean, we personally enjoy, you know, discussing money the way that we do is, is just to make it relatable and something that people can hear and, and take action on right away. Joe, let's talk about the show, How to Money. What have been some of your most popular episodes covering what topics and why? Oh man, I think, you know, our Wednesday episodes are, kind of, that's kind of what we started doing was Matt and I would go, we deep dive on a topic. Now we have interviews and we answer questions. And on Fridays, you know, we talk about what's currently happening, how the headlines of the week impact people's personal finances. But our Wednesday episodes, I think still remain our popular where we deep dive on something, whether it is goals or whether we're talking about the Roth IRA and kind of demystifying that and helping people understand why and how and, and you know what it is, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think those remain the episodes that people enjoy the most. And I, I don't know what specific episode I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think maybe uh, one where we where we deep dive into a way of like how your brain works on money. We talked about the hedonic treadmill and money, your brain and buying happiness was a, a popular episode because it is sort of this thing where you're learning something about kind of how we react to money. It's kind of fascinating from that standpoint. And then it also gives you this insight into how your own behavior works so that you can kind of recognize it in the moment in order to stop yourself from uh, to hop off that hedonic treadmill in, in the pursuit of more. And and it just, it really does like being cognizant of some of those 
behavioral challenges that we have because we're human. That's how we're wired can help us combat some of them. So I think people have found episodes like that interesting. Matt, any particular episodes that really you feel hit home with the audience? Any specific topics? Well, I will say recently we we touched on something that we don't normally talk about. And so we talked about multi-level marketing companies. And I think that's just something that's interesting because it's something that people hear about. It's kind of in the ether. It's part of the zeitgeist. But they're like, I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> and so, Especially uh, when my friend's trying to tell me to join up. <laughs> Joel, can I interest you in some beard oil? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no knock against beard oil, but I feel like you know, oil is one of those things that you hear uh, folks kind of push around a little bit. But yeah, I, I, I agree with Joel. Wednesday episodes allow us to kind of dive deeper on a particular topic and or maybe even approach a, a topic that we've discussed before, but just in a, in a new way. And so that's one that we had a lot of folks who got back and they really appreciated how we, how we discussed multi-level marketing companies because we, we weren't there to disparage them because some of them are legitimate companies you know, and there's folks who legitimately make a living doing those things. But at the same time, there are a lot not of... Many. <laughs> not many. Exactly. There are a lot of broken promises uh, and a lot of folks who end up paying a lot of money to, you know, upfront to get started and they don't realize the amount of work that goes into it. But yeah, also recently, like we did Money Simplicity breeds better results. And that kind of ties into a lot of what we're talking about here, how it doesn't necessarily need to be an overly complicated thing, you know, when it comes to your personal finances. A lot of times you really can just pare it down to the basics and allow that to drive you versus getting caught up with, you know, some of the different acronyms that we'll throw around or in some of these different letters that we're like, oh, what does that mean? It's like, well, it's definitely good to know what those things mean. But at the same time, it doesn't, you don't need to start there per se. Multi-level marketing really shows what I think is one of the most basic and simple financial rules. If it sounds too good to be true, (laughs) it probably is. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So Joel Larsgaard, Matt Altmix, How to Money. What I love about your show is that it's this perfect marriage of the tactical, the easy stuff that we never saw along with the most difficult, the mindset, how to get your brain in the right place. It's a great show. I'm so happy you guys came to be on Earn and Invest today. I'm going to end the show how I end every show by asking you what's up next in your life and where we can find you. Joel, what's going on? And if people want to interact more with you, where should they go? Well, what's going on? Matt and I are still drinking beer, still talking money um, every week. And it's an absolute joy to do it. Seriously, we, we love what we do. And so we're going to keep doing that. And you can find our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts where you're listening to Earn and Invest. And you can go to our website at howtomoney.com. You can follow me on Twitter, but I don't tweet. So I'm not even going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. I like the way you did that. And Matt, <laughs> why even recommend it if uh, there's nothing going on there? It's true. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the same thing. I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off that as well. I mean, Joel and I were looking to kind of continue to get serious with a podcast. I feel like it's something that we've been able to ease into over the years. You know, we've been doing it for over two years now, but uh, we've kind of been able to slowly ramp it up. And we love what we're doing. It's so much fun. We're able to do this together. And, and at the same time, man, we love hearing from our listeners, hearing the impact that it's making on their lives. That's fantastic. And so it's hard to not feel good about what it is that we're talking about when that's the case. But yeah, we're going to continue to put out great episodes there at How to Money and folks can find us there. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix. That's a wrap. 
As you all know from last week's episode, Earn and Invest turned two years old recently, and the community is growing, our downloads are growing, and the way we really spread the word and get people to listen to Earn and Invest is through you. You are the ones who tell your family and friends. You guys are the ones who put the links out on social media. I'd like to thank you for spreading the word, for telling people about Earn and Invest, for inviting people to the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. It means so much that we have formed this community, and I can't wait to see what Earn and Invest will do over the next year. Speaking of anniversaries, one of my friends, Dave from Accidental Fire, celebrated his three-year blog anniversary recently. And I just couldn't wait to get him back on the podcast to talk to him about what it's been like to write about personal finance for three years. So hold on tight. Take a listen. This is Dave from Accidental Fire talking about his three-year anniversary blogging. So tell us about your blog. Yeah, so um, I have a personal finance blog. It's mostly about personal finance. I've been at it for about three years now. It's called Accidental Fire, and uh, it's called that because I reached financial independence, and I didn't fully fire. I'm semi-retired, but um, I did it accidentally, meaning unlike a lot of people in the fire community now who are in their 20s or 30s or even 40s, and they're shooting for financial independence, and they're learning about it, and they have it set as a goal, I just live that way and save a lot of money and live frugally, not knowing that was even a thing. And all of a sudden, I turned around in my mid-40s one day and stumbled across a Mr. Money Mustache post like a lot of people and realized, let me run the math on this. And I realized I was pretty much almost financially independent right there. And so it, it happened accidentally, but it was a deliberate lifestyle choice that I lived. And at that time, financial independence retire early was really gaining momentum. Three years is a long time to be blogging. In fact, you just hit your three-year anniversary. Does it feel like you think it would have? Like when you started this, it's now been three years. How has your opinion of blogging changed? Well, yeah. When I started the blog, which is right about when I semi-retired, almost exactly at the same time, I cut down to 20 hours a week in my W-2 job. So not just a part-time 32 hours a week, I really cut it down. And I started to blog about a month afterwards. And I put a lot of thought into it because I said to myself, even, this is a treadmill that once you get on it, you know, I don't like to quit at things. You know, you're going to want to stay on this until you until you've achieved some level of success. So you better be prepared to dig in. And uh, yeah, here I am three years later, which I realize a lot of blogs don't make it that far. How is it different? It's probably more work than I initially even thought it was going to be. Uh, I'd say honestly, there's that process of writing. I'm um, the biggest procrastinator. I treat writing like I treat running and. Like I'll put my running gear on, I'll put my running shoes on and everything and get ready to run. And then 45 minutes later, I'll still be sitting at my computer. I'll be making every excuse I can. Let me check the weather one more time. Let me do this. Let me do that. And all of a sudden I'll look and I'm like, you're still not going for a run. Well, that's how I treat my blog post kind of. I uh, delay it a lot. But once I actually start to write and get into it, it's not that bad. It's just uh, I tend to delay the starting to get into it part. <laughs> 
but it is a lot of work. I mean, I, I checked this morning knowing I was going to get on with you here today and I have 349 posts in three years. So, you know, that's 115, 120 a year, um, more than two a week. And, and, uh, it's, that's a, that's a lot of work, but it's a, it's a kind of a passion, you know? I love this blogging and running metaphor. So let's, let's go with this for a moment. We know when you go out running and you do that on a regular basis, you're doing that for your physical health. Talk to me about what your goals were, especially when you started with the blog. Like, what was the long-term plan? Um, the long-term, in a nutshell, I want to help people. And I realize there's a lot of other f- personal finance bloggers out there and financial bloggers out there. But I think everyone has a voice. Well, I don't think everyone has a voice. I know everyone has a has a individual voice. And, and everyone can... I strongly believe find an audience, even if they think, well, my story isn't special or uh, I didn't do anything all that great. Well, there's a lot of people out there. (laughs) I think it's what, 7.5 billion people in the world now. Everybody, if you start to tell your story, you're going to find people who identify with it. Even if you say my story is boring, well, there's other boring people out there who are going to say, well, this is kind of my path too, right? So I knew I could help people. I knew there are people in my age range, people who like to do outdoor sports like I do. And I said, well, how else am I going to help them if I don't actually start to try to tell my story and my journey? And aside from that, I think it's not, it sounds kind of cocky saying this, but it's not that hard. Um, at least the math of all this stuff, right? It's you spend way less than you earn, as much you make that gap as big as you can, you invest that difference. And you do that for a long period of time. I'm not saying it's going to happen fast, but I don't necessarily like to get into all the minutia of all of that on my blog all that much. There's great blogs out there that go into the financials and I can't beat the material they put out. That material is very similar for everybody, right? It's the stories about your life and how you're doing those things. And I thought, well, I'm in my mid forties at the time I started the blog. And I was like, I have a lot of stories. I've been to over 40-something countries. Um, I've deployed to war zones. I've climbed you know, some of the biggest mountains around the world. Like all kind of things I've actually done, most of them relate to finance. So I'm like, if I start to tell my stories, people are going to find, some people are going to find them, themselves in that. And the ones who do, hopefully I'll build an audience with. And the ones who don't, that's fine too. They'll have, they can go find their blog somewhere else and you know, no, no big deal. And sure enough, that's exactly what's what's actually happened. I've got a lot of readers who I think either identify with me because of my age, because of my frugal habits, or because of my outdoor lifestyle, or because I'm an avid cyclist or whatever it is in there. And um, I just want to help those people and say, look, I did it. And I'm a regular schmo that grew up in a middle class to lower middle class family in Baltimore City. And you can do it too. I didn't have any inheritances. I didn't have any gifts. Um, and I, when I started in the working world, I wasn't making a lot of money. <laughs> so being a reader for a bunch of years and having the privilege of getting to know you as you've been writing this blog, I realize a lot of your stories have two things in common, right? They have personal finance, financial independence, and then outdoor physical fitness. 
How did you decide to make this a personal finance blog that also brings in physical fitness as opposed to an outdoor sports blog, for instance, where you sometimes talk about finances? That's a good question. The simple answer is that, you know, when I started the blog, I had, again, just semi-retired. That was a huge decision in my life. At that point, I was 20, uh, 23 years into my government career, my federal government career, uh, 20, 25 years into my working career. And I didn't do that lightly. I was a manager of a large office with 70 something people reporting to me and a massive budget. I didn't just whimsically say, I'm going down to 20 hours a week and giving up my manager job. And so I put a lot of thought into that. And that was such a big decision. Starting the blog, of course, the topic of that was going to be personal finance and that journey um, that I was now kind of half completing. I'm not fully retired. But once I started to write more posts, I found that I kept gravitating towards physical fitness and health because that has been a backstory to my life that has been with me my whole life. I was, if you're not familiar with my blog, I know you are, Doc, but for those of you out there who aren't, I was obese as a kid. Um, I was obese up until probably I was around 27 or 28 years old. I weighed uh, 75 more pounds back when I was 28 than I do now. And um, that journey of that and then losing all that weight in my 30s and 40s, and then in this really difficult environment that we have in modern America, keeping that weight off, I find that the struggles that go along with that, the struggles to get out that door and run, they all relate to finance. There's, there's so many nuances there that you can totally relate about discipline, about motivation, discipline in being frugal and discipline in exercising. And there's, there's right there, there's like a ton of material, right? So I'm fascinated by that stuff because I think you can learn the basics of everything. You can be a master. You could be a certified financial planner and know everything there is to know about money and how to get to fire. But if your behaviors, if your discipline isn't there, you're not going to get there. Or if you're dealing with mental health issues, or if you're dealing with all the things that come along with life. So it's that part of life and the fi- that affects your finances that my blog focuses on. You're not going to find a whole ton of posts on my blog about like, here's the nuances of you know your minimum required distributions when you turn 70 for your Roth, Roth IRA. Again, that stuff's out there. It's done really well. I can't compete with it. And it's not really different for anyone else. It's the same rules, right? But no one else has my story about going to Mount Everest. No one else has my story about you know scuba diving with sharks and how I wrote a blog post about how that relates to your actual money. No one else has that. And that's why I figured, well, that's easy. I can write that material and no one can steal it from me because it's my story. So I focused on health a lot because that's a real backstory to me. It's a very personal thing to who I am. And what's life if you don't have your health, right? So I know this from experience writing a blog also. When you start, it's really a passion and you have a lot of material. And I'm sure when you started, there was a lot to say about fitness. There was a lot to say about personal finance. But going back to our running metaphor to do it for three years is really a marathon. And if you ask any marathoner, they will tell you that they hit the wall at some point, right? I don't know if that's mile 18 or mile 20. Talk about the walls you've hit in blogging. Was there a low where you're like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm putting it away. I've run a couple marathons and yeah, it's around 
mile 22 or 23 to be accurate for me. Um, um, yeah, it, yeah, there've been numerous. Um, I remember riding my bike to work, uh, pre COVID, obviously I'm still working from home right now, but riding my bike to work one morning and the post I had put out the day before I thought was going to be a real big winner. I thought it was going to get more traffic and more hits and more feedback. That was good and more comments. And it was the opposite. And I got really down about it. I was like, God, I put a lot of effort into that one. I was sure that was going to be a hit. And I usually think of my ideas riding my bike uh, because you get you you get all the endorphins moving and your brain starts to you know you know function out much better. And that morning, I was just thinking, like, what am I doing with this? You know, that was all that work put into that post. You had high hopes for that post, and you got ten comments on it, which is way lower than you normally get. And you didn't get a whole lot of page views. And come on, man. And I, I remember being really down that and thinking, maybe I should just fold this. This is like taking up so much of my time. It's making me zero money. Not that monetization was my primary goal, nor is it still. But yeah, uh, that was the closest I came. I can't remember exactly when that was. It was probably in 2019 and middle of the year. So I'd say I was almost two years in at that point. And I was thinking, this just even though I was increasing in traffic still overall, it was just um, not going that well. And then all of a sudden, I can't remember when it happens again. You get that one post that goes great. And you get that magical email from somebody that says, hey, I really love your style of writing. And those things are golden. I'm sure you've gotten them before, Doc, because you're an amazing writer. And I file those away now, actually. I didn't do it early on, and I should go back and dig some of them out. But I keep like a I love me folder, I, I call it. <laughs> and I get a kudos like that, whether it's in a comment section or whether it's by an email directly, which I've gotten a lot of now. And I file them away because you, you have to go back and look at those sometimes and say, look, people are reading. You might not be Mr. Money Mustache. You might not be the biggest name out there, but people are reading. You have an audience. And this person actually took the time to craft you an email and say, hey, I love this post. I, I really love your style of writing. And that's something, right? And you can't let just gloss over that. So I have to look at that folder once in a while to remind myself that um, I'm doing okay. You know, uh, um, I don't have any goal of conquering the world. But yeah, it's gotten hard over times. And I'm sure I'll come across those harder times again, probably. And we'll see what happens next time I come across them. <laughs> With that answer, you mentioned a few things. You mentioned comments. You mentioned page views. You mentioned emails. There was a moment where you're talking about monetization. As you look at the next three years, what do you think your goals are? Like, What do you want to accomplish with the blog? Well, I'm, make, I'm making money on the blog to support it. So, and not a whole ton more, but it's a profitable blog, but that's not my main goal. As you know, hosting fees are not that expensive. I don't pay for all the, uh, uh, you know, big time add-ons of distributed stuff and all that. So my hosting fees are not a whole lot of money. And uh, I run minimal ads on the blog, only on the side and at, and at the bottom. I purposely don't run ads in between my content because I don't like it being disrupted. So I could make more money than I'm making now by running more ads, but I'm not actually doing that. I'm just making enough to keep it profitable. Monetization is not my main goal. My main goal is to to continue to put our content that connects and to build a community that can identify with my story, that can see themselves in my story, and that 
they can see that this stuff, again, I don't think is hard on the surface. But when you peel that one layer off, which is, you know, spend less than you actually make and invest it. And yeah, you got to learn a little bit about what's a, what's a 401k and what's pre-tax and post-tax and all that. But once you, once you really learn that stuff, you peel that layer off and then you get into the crazy world of your behaviors, your life, your stories, um, whether you had childhood trauma or not, and how all that affects your money decisions. That's to me, there's endless material there. And being that I've been on the planet for a good deal of time now, um, I have a lot more stories that I haven't even told that I know in some way relate to money. I just want to keep writing a, writing a, about that. I don't necessarily see an end here where it's like, oh, I reached this and I want to stop or whatever. I don't see that. Will I go on forever? I don't know. But um, the more emails I get from people saying that I, I you know, helped them out and they saw themselves in my post or whatever, and they have a similar story, it kind of spurs you on to keep on going. So we asked about the so-called blogging wall, similar to the marathon wall. And we talked a little bit about your goals. I have an idea of what I think your high point over the last three years has been on writing the blog. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. As I was on your podcast back in April or May, I can't remember which it, which it was. And I had, um, for those not familiar, I have three different kinds of posts on my blog. I have regular posts uh, where I actually write prose, and I have um, silly diagrams where I draw out things related to personal finance in kind of a childish style. And then I have uh, a turnip fire section, which is a humor section that to take off on the onion. And those are real short and they're meant to be funny. Um, so I try to do a lot of humor because personal finance can be kind of boring and I try to make people laugh. So what you're thinking about probably is the viral post that I had back in April that um, was one of my info drawings and that um, went nuts and it went crazy around the world. It was in the early days of COVID when I put it out. I think I put it out the second week of April and uh, it, the post was about COVID. And yeah, it got me tons of new email signups and by far, it's the biggest um, traffic post I've ever done. And ironically, it has very few words on it. <laughs> so maybe that says something about me as a blogger. <laughs> um, but I don't know if that's my high because sure, by by the metrics and everything else, by far it is. It's not even a close contest with that post in second. But I have a couple other posts that for me were personal stories that were harder to write. Um, that were being, you know, a lot more vulnerable, which I've kind of struggled with, and that to me were a higher point. And getting feedback on some of those from people who said, "Wow, I really see myself in that." Those are the high points to me, but that's not apparent on the surface, right? And no one else sees that feedback because a lot of times it comes by email. Sometimes it'll be in the comment section, but sometimes people send an email because it's something kind of personal, and they and they say, you know, yeah, I dealt with that too. And so I've done some posts about my weight in the past. I've done some posts about how I was a childhood wreck and I had kind of every problem that you can have as a kid, I, you know, braces and pimples and I was fat and I stuttered and everything else. And um, those were my more vulnerable posts that um, I think connected with a lot of folks. So to me, those are the highs, but I've, I understand that you're, you're talking about my post called the relative importance of things in 2020. And that by far, I think in one day, it got 20, uh, 28,000 views in one day or something like that. I don't know what it was. It was a lot. 
and then that kept going on for quite a while. So yeah, and it was translated, I think, in in eighteen different languages. It was on Australian TV. It was in all kind of different places. So it was pretty cool. But um, yeah, that actually wasn't what I was referring to. I was referring to something that maybe no one really knows. So I'll tell uh-uh. you right now. Back in 2018, when Dave and I were new bloggers and showed up to FinCon, him and I were hanging out at one of the fair areas, and I think I had something to go to. I left Dave for about an hour, hour and a half, and I find him later. He's like, oh, yeah, I just spent the last hour with Mr. Money Mustache talking about life and blogging and writing and and apparently you had run into him and uh, he just started talking to you or you just started talking to him, but you didn't know each other. And you had like one of those moments you dream of at conferences where you see someone you're like impressed with and they're alone and talkative. And so to me, that I was referring to that being what must have been one of the highs just because uh, being a new blogger in the space, especially uh, having read Mr. Money Mustache consistently, it was probably pretty cool to just sit there and talk to him without anyone bothering you for a while. Yeah, thanks for bringing that back up. Yeah, he was looking for coffee in the convention center the first year I went to FinCon back in 18. And uh, yeah, I went over and just said hi. And next thing you know, he's like, let's go find some coffee. Yeah, we sat for an hour. That that was really great. He's a really chill guy. Um, He hates the the fact that we were at FinCon, right? And everyone knows what he looks like. So we're sitting there for an hour talking. Everyone that walks by is actually pointing at him. And (laughs) I looked at him at one point and I said, do you get sick of that? And he was like, yeah, kind of, <laughs> um, but he's a, he's a, he's a really cool guy. And that was actually a big time highlight. And we chatted about my blog and uh, he checked it out and stuff. So that was, yeah, it's been a great journey. And I really, I really missed FinCon this year, like everybody else. And, um, you know, it's too bad we didn't get to see everybody in person. And, you know, it's just the way it is. We're all living through this crap and we're all sick of this crap, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think we are. And I'm sure that we're all looking at this vaccine saying, fingers crossed, let's hope it takes care of it. Yeah, I want to meet back up with everybody next year. And um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But um, that was that was a highlight for sure. I do have a lot and being nominated for a Plutus Award in the same category as the Earn and Invest podcast, which um, Wow, I'm in the same category. And, and now, I can't believe neither of us took it. Darn it. We had <laughs> we between the it. both of us, we had a much better chance that one of us would have gotten it. Yeah. But, oh well, what can you but say? But that that was a, just a tremendous honor. I I'm just very stoked. That's those are the kind of things, alluding back to your other question, those are the kind of things that keep you going. Um, the fact I thought about that when I saw that I got nominated, I'm like, those are actually nominations from people out there. So I'm like, people took the time to go on a website and nominate me as the best fire blog, you know, and I was like, wow, okay, that's, you know, I almost feel like I owe it to them to keep on going, right? I mean, alone, because they took some time out of their day to do something for me. And they're obviously reading my content. So um, that was that totally stoked me. And um, yeah, totally excited about that. Well, the blog is Accidental Fire. It has been three years. I have been there with you almost the whole time, and I've enjoyed, enjoyed your blog consistently. Not only that, but Dave is also a talented graphic artist and has done almost all the graphic art for Earn and Invest and What's Up Next first. So congratulations on three years, buddy. I'm really impressed with your writing. I'm proud of you, and I can't wait to see what happens over the next three years. Yeah, man. And you forgot to say one thing. I stole your blog name. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and and I, I got it, what, two weeks before you tried to register yeah. for it? 
Yeah, Something yeah. Like that? I wanted yeah. to go with accidental fire and I went and looked because I was trying to figure out how what my blog should be called. And like you, I figured out that I was financially independent after I learned what it was right after. And yeah. so I thought it was a great name for a blog, but unfortunately it, it had just been taken. Great minds think alike, Doc, right? And and they get uh, nominated in the St. Plutus Award category too. So <laughs> Yeah. Next no. next one we have to win though. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, thanks a lot for the compliments. I really, uh, really appreciate it. And thanks for, uh, you've been, you've been my closest friend in the fire community for the last three years. So I really appreciate your friendship, man. Yeah, it's, it's been a joy. And don't forget to check them out at accidentalfire.com. Bye everybody. Awesome. For some reason, yeah, you started echoing right at the end, but I'll I'll cut around it. Yeah, time. sorry about that. I'm not not totally sure. I was what I noticed is um some, sometimes when you were talking too, your mic would get really loud. It's like it, it's like it was uh, the volume was was uh, going up and down a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, it, just at the way end. I mean, I'll I'll level it out obviously. And, and yeah, we'll sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> always tricky. <laughs> I was about to say it never works. I mean, I guess you guys like right. You guys when you do it together, you can you know you've got it down to one room and you're all connected and you're all right we eliminate all, all those factors the minute with, you get on zoom it's like <laughs> with guests and they're like i don't have headphones and you're like Son of a no! yeah. you know yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's the worst isn't it when they come with the most horrible audio and you're like oh for god's sake yeah. this is such good stuff and it's not gonna sound good we, yeah. we just interviewed someone the other day and i'm like you you're on your 300th interview. How do you not have a microphone, dude? Like, yeah. it's like I'm gonna awesome, send you one. But, Seventy yeah, bucks. I'm gonna yeah. go send you one. God damn it! Like, it's a basic <laughs> thing. If you're gonna be doing this many appearances, you should have a mic. But so you guys are awesome. That was exactly what I wanted out of that conversation. Awesome. I think Glad to hear that. Really well. And again, it's just I think you guys are the right ones to have that conversation. And you did. You kind of. It was a nice mix of simple but not simple, which is I think yeah. actually. That's real life, right? Yeah, that's real life. Like you can't dumb it down so much that uh, you ignore all the details and nuance that come with individuals uh, and what they have going on. But at the same time, if you are going to only talk about the nuts and bolts and only talk about the technical details, well, yeah, it's easy for, in particular, newcomers to lose sight of what it is that they're even there to begin with, you know? So. And as you guys know, I'm, I'm a fan of the show. I think you guys, every episode I listen to is entertaining and good and well put together and sounds crisp and beautiful. Uh, obviously, the more I get into making my own podcast, I really, you know, you hear things and uh, I think you guys do a great job and I'm really excited for your success and how well you've been doing. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.